the 10% of variation in perfection that you give up on social is where you get all of the results. That's where you get all of the magic. Hey there, friends. It's Anna Grock from Convince and Convert. Welcome to Social Pros. Daniel, Eric, and I are all out of the office this week for Thanksgiving, and we hope that you are enjoying some tasty turkey, too, if you celebrate. Um, but, of course, we can't leave you hanging, so we're bringing you a very special encore presentation of the show. The episode that you're about to listen to today is one of our personal favorites from the past year, and it was with Kate Winnick, Senior Director of Social Media at Peloton. Kate was an absolute delight to talk to, and if you didn't listen to the episode the first time around, you are in for a treat. If you did hear the show when it first aired, you're still in for a treat because Kate really is that great. We talked about so much in this episode. It really truly is uh, one of our favorites um, from this last year. So we hope you enjoy the show. And of course, we'll be back again next week with what we hope is your favorite podcast of all time, Social Pros. And now here's Kate. I cannot think of a better day to talk to you today, Kate, because um, as everybody knows already, I mean, by the time this episode airs, it's going to be all out in the open and all the big reveals will have already happened. But today, the day of the recording is actually homecoming for Peloton. So first, thank you so much for taking time out of what I can only imagine is one of your busiest times of the year in terms of engagement and audience questions to be with us today. We are so excited. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Happy homecoming. homecoming. You know what? I want to talk about so many of the announcements, but we won't because uh, that's for another conversation (laughs) another day. I'm excited. I know Eric is excited. We're both massive Peloton fans and owners. But Kate, why don't we just start off real quick? Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're Senior Director of Social Media at Peloton, but tell us a little bit about your day-to-day, what that looks like, what sort of uh, you're over right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I, I lead organic social strategy for uh, for Peloton. I've been here for the past four years. Um, my my remit is really around content that's designed to engage and excite and and build interest in the brand. And the way that we really think about it is uh, is demand generation and brand love. Um, and it, in addition, uh, the social team sits on the global brand marketing org. Um, and so I have responsibility for our inclusive marketing practice, um, which includes things like our, our, uh, our affinity months, our cultural months, um, and, and our overall kind of mental health and accessibility work streams, um, as it pertains to marketing, which has been uh, a new addition to my responsibilities, which has been really exciting. Um, so if you see it going out on Peloton social channels, my team definitely had a hand in it. Uh, it's one of the things that I love most about working in social at this or any org is that you get to have your finger in a lot of different pies. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of our, our day-to-day. Um, I think any social pro can tell you there are no two days that are almost ever alike. Um, there, there's something different every day. But in general, um, we're really kind of constantly seeking the balance between campaigns and launches and supporting the rest of, uh, of, our, of our needs. Um, and then, you know, the kind of engagement and always on social uh, that's really our, our bread and butter as a team. I have a quick question for you. With so many integrated teams and initiatives and partnerships and things that you're leading, it sounds like 
what does alignment look like? How do you bring those content calendars and those community managers all together to prepare for that next new initiative or those cultural moments or viral moments? Um, again, Peloton does such an incredible job and your team does such a an incredible job of staying on trend and again, staying really culturally relevant. How do you align all of that and get that collaboration along the way? Well, thank you. Because we've tried to. Um, you know, I th I think for us, it's been really about just getting faster on identifying who needs to be in the room in order to concept and execute a particular project. Sometimes it's really small. Sometimes it's really just our core social team. We have an idea. We have all the tools we need, and we know we have the buy-in and the support. It clearly aligns with our strategic objectives and with our business goals, and so we are we are good to go. Um, and I try really hard not to overcomplicate the process. Um, and then obviously for, for a bigger initiative, when we have opportunities come up or when we think we see something that we can jump on or make bigger, or when other people within the company identify things that they want social partnership on or that they think makes sense for social as a team. Um, it's, it's, it's again, it's for us, it's really about driving our own calendar forward. And I really try to do that thematically. Um, my background is as a, as a journalist, as a writer and editor. I was a magazine editor before I worked in social. And I think it's great training for social. I think it's great training for a lot of things. Um, but what it really teaches you to think about is to have your, have your interests really laser focused on the end user. And if they don't care about it, if you can't answer that, why does someone care question, then you don't have a post, you don't have a story. And that's the thing that we really try to align on over and over and over, whether that's pushing back on a particular campaign or an initiative, either to improve the creative or on the idea as a whole, um, or whether that's our own content. Um, you know, just because we think something is funny doesn't mean that it has to go exist in the world. Um, just because we know we have a great idea and it's funny doesn't mean that it makes sense for the brand. Um, I think we're, we're, we're constantly seeking alignment both with our own goals and objectives and with the company as a whole. And that's, that's part of the challenge and the fun of the job. I can really appreciate that. I grew up, my career grew up in the hard knocks of journalism. I feel like I always say I'm a recovering journalist. Uh, and the work, oh my gosh. <laughs> and the work ethic that you get. And I think you really hit on something very important, the storytelling in social and really understanding audience. So I, for one, can really appreciate that background. And thanks for sharing. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny, Kate, you mentioned not having looked and known you before talking and just being a fan of Peloton Social in general. I can now actually see where your journalistic background comes in because Peloton has always struck me as incredibly curious and driving conversations. It's very conversational. It's very interested in what people are doing. It asks questions to start conversations. And so I totally see where you're coming from with that. And I love, love, love how you and the team engage the community. The other thing that I really love is that obviously you have an already passionate fan base, but that doesn't necessarily mean that in-person or in-class enthusiasm is going to translate to social. So how do you pick up momentum from that enthusiasm and that fanaticism and then really bring it to life? How do you tap into these conversations that that really keep fans engaged within social? Sure. I mean, first of all, I think it's I, I think it's about 
listening in a couple of different directions. So do we pay attention to what our members are saying and think about what we can capitalize on? Absolutely. Do we pay attention to the conversations our members are having and think about where we have no business actually commenting or being a part of it, where some of the fun of being a fan of a brand or part of the community might be kind of not having, you know, the grown up in the room, which is kind of where where you are as a brand. Uh, we actually probably have a lot less to do with some of our member groups than people actually think. Um, when, I mean, it's it, it always happens when when people, you know, ask me about this or when I read our Reddit forum or poke around in groups. There's a lot of there's a lot of speculation about how, you know, tightly we control all of these things. And trust me, I would I would be running a small country if I were capable of running the work streams that a lot of our followers think we're capable of running. Uh, not a social program. It's uh, it, it's really, you know, it, it comes together a lot more organically um, than I think a lot of people, including our members, really think. But what we always try to do really is to is to kind of have that really always on listening practice of understanding what our members actually care about and what they talk about and looking for those moments when it's appropriate to reflect that back from them. So, you know, we have our I, I, one of my favorite examples for this is that we have our, um, you know, our our pillow pups community. Um, we have our own internal brand and language standards. And, you know, we don't normally in our style book say things like pillow pups. Um, but on social, we recognize that like every so often, yes, of course we can and should do a dog post because this is a really big part of our members experience, um, particularly for users who are at home. Um, and that's, you know, it's it's not language that we use all the time. It's not language that we try to own, but we try to be aware of what's coming out of the community and to reflect it accurately as a way of making sure that our members feel really seen and heard. And sometimes those are big insights and big things that affect a lot of our community. But I and I think you do learn this as a as a journalist. The 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 magic of it is really in the small details. So like I don't know one of the one of the tags I follow on Peloton and tags is a way for you to rather than following just individual users to join communities and to sort of work out together in groups that have a particular affinity. Um, one of my favorites I'm a I'm a tread owner myself is um, is the Pelo Turtles. They're like, they're slow runners. And I myself, I'm a slow runner. I'm not a great runner. I love it and I get a lot out of it, but I'm slow. And just knowing that that is community is out there, we're not speaking to them specifically, but being aware of just the breadth of our community and the breadth of their interests helps to really keep us honest and keep us remembering that there isn't just one point of view on fitness that we're representing. There isn't just one way to be a Peloton member. There are infinite, there are at least 7 million ways to be a Peloton member. And all of them are valid and all of them are important to us. And we talk about some more often than others, but we try to let all of them really be a part of the, the sort of creative stew as we think about how we, how we highlight things and why. I love that, again, even just with engaging the community, so inclusive. I myself am also a pillow turtle, uh, which is like to say, and then I saw Erica also pointing at herself. Um, <laughs> so no shame in being a pillow turtle. I think um, everyone has a certain thing they're turtly in, in, yes. in some aspect of their fitness life. Oh, For yeah. sure. And if you see me running, I'm probably running from something. So, you know, there's that too. I, yes. I felt that way when I started. I was never a runner before Peloton. Um, and it was really, you know, it was helped me to discover the joy of it. And if you told me 
five years ago that someday I would have a treadmill in my home and that I would run on it voluntarily, I would have laughed in your face. So there's uh, there's some magic in the platform for sure. <laughs> I think I think that goes back to the engagement as well that that you do and the inclusivity and really engaging just every level of fitness, every type of member. And I think the last stat I saw was seven million plus members. I want to say I feel like that was announced today. Um, and so I'm just curious, you know, obviously everything you do is really designed to tap into what audiences want to hear, what they want to talk about, what they're really passionate about. Was there an organic campaign that you did or even just an initiative that even blew your mind with the engagement levels or something that people really above and beyond responded to that maybe you weren't anticipating that level of engagement? Being apart from Cody Rigsby. Um, <laughs> uh, we are we are part of the boo, the boo crew, um, Eric and I, so yes. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Cody actually is at the heart of, of one great example, I think, which is uh, we had a, a one of our first TikToks to like really hit was um, we had a, it was, it was one of those like beaded bracelet. Um, we very, we're very into craft talk as a team. We look at it a lot. Um, and we were able to, we put together a bracelet that was uh, Cody's uh, pretty infamous at this point, um, sizzling fajita speech, um, which has now actually made it into our new brand campaign. So we are absolutely delighted to be able to take what was a really wonderful line in class, which became a really, really great moment on social and now actually make it a national brand campaign, um, which was it's it's really cool to see the content that resonates with people on a one to one like in class level actually get to grow and, and take shape and reform in that way. Um, so that's I mean, I think that's an example of something that when we heard this line the first time we laughed, we knew it was great. Um, we certainly didn't necessarily think we'd end up like building a commercial around it. Um, but the, the insights around the instructors are really important for us. Um, and I think on social, uh, one of the, one of the campaigns that I'm, I'm most proud of recently, uh, we did in January of this year, January obviously is a pivotal time for a lot of fitness brands, um, where we really tried to lean into one of the things that I think is most important about Peloton and one of the ways it's changed the most since I've been here. Um, which was a campaign that we ran called Try Something New Every Day. It was social first. It was really social only. Um, and it was really kind of built around content variety as its core value proposition and around what we were really trying to telegraph to all of the new members that come in over the holidays and all of the people that recommit to a fitness routine in January. Um, there's never a wrong time to have your day one, but for a lot of people, there there is one of those in January. and. We wanted to really honor that and to meet those members kind of where they were in that journey and remind them that there's so much more to Peloton, often than even what those members think. Um, you know, Peloton's app is an incredible way to access dozens and dozens of class types. I mean, I think we, we actually we drilled down to it and there's more than 75 different individual class types that you could take uh, via the app. And you don't need a piece of hardware to take them. I mean, you need a piece of hardware to take some of them if you want to take a cycling class. Um, but overall, a huge amount of the content that we produce has all of the same bona fides as far as quality of instruction and quality of entertainment that um, the classes we're most famous for have. And it's all accessible via a $14 a month app. And we're really, you know, we're really enthused about that as a team. And we want to make sure that members understand how to get the most out of their membership 
We want to make sure that people who are still considering Peloton are able to get the most out of it. And it gave us the opportunity to highlight some things about the brand that are really fun that we think don't get enough airtime um, by using variety as kind of the really like the core of the campaign. It is so interesting, the app. I actually used the app before I got my equipment because it took some time for it to come in, uh, you know, naturally. Um, And so I learned about, you know, really I got familiar with the instructors. I got familiar with the communities through the app to start. But I love the innovation of really thinking outside the box of how to educate and how to bring your communities sort of into other spaces in and around what Peloton does. And you're right, it is so much bigger. And part of that is through those instructors. Um, Again, hashtag boo crew. I've never been more passionate about grape jelly and that. So, you know, (laughs) it's kind of, thanks Cody for educating us on why grape jelly over other, why we shouldn't like grape jelly over maybe others. But, you know, as (laughs) as a user in the community, the instructors these are truly influencers and and really have become quite celebrities in their own right. And I did have just a question and a curiosity about how you're integrating the instructors into the social strategy, because if you're following any of them, I mean, I follow Allie. I I feel like I walked down the aisle with her during her wedding Um, because we were, you know, following, we're community members to them in addition to Peloton community members how are you yeah. bringing them into the wider strategy and what rules or not rules or brand voice or brand work goes into that integration? Yeah. I mean, the instructors have a lot of freedom and a lot of autonomy um, to be their authentic selves. That's something that is really important to us as a brand, as a company, where we encourage all of our employees to show up as their authentic selves. And our instructors are no exception to that. And you know, it's, I mean, it's, this is going to sound really obvious, but you watch them in class being exactly who they are. I mean, sure they're, they're at work and their work involves being performers, but that's pretty much who they are. And so why would we try to change that or craft that in any meaningful way? You know, when we know that what we have is like, is lightning in a bottle. And so we don't, uh, we, we don't try to reshape it in, in any particular way. We try to really look for the opportunities to kind of highlight between the Venn diagram of what a Peloton instructor is and who an individual may be and what Peloton the brand is, there's always a lot of overlap because we hire people who have the same values, the same priorities, the same excitement about what we're trying to build that we do as a company. And so there's naturally a lot of synergy between what they want to talk about and what we would want them to talk about. And I think where we work to really support them um, in making content or occasionally just shaping content is in really figuring out, first of all, some of the technicalities of social, um, some production support, and and I think really just prioritization and helping them figure out, you know, who they want to be to the world and how they want to present it. But the storytelling is is very genuine to them, and they really lead most of it. You know, it's amazing that you speak so easily about giving them creative control and giving them freedom, because for a lot of brands, this is really hard to give up those reins to really, you know, and you made so many excellent points there about not trying to rein them in and not control them because they are who they are. What would you say to brands who are starting to go off into the influencer realm and really starting to hand over the keys? Like, how can they start to really let go a little bit and just sort of, you know, understand that it's a creative partnership? and not necessarily something to be crafted and and controlled. 
I don't pretend to be an expert in talent development. And we have a really incredible talent team who supports all of our instructors in in developing their their individual brands and in kind of running their day to day. Um, and I cannot at all take credit for the incredible work they do. You know, it's it's an entire specialty in and of themselves. But I think what we do with our instructors is pretty aligned with what if you actually talk to influencers and creators, they will all tell brands they want which is to give them the broadest possible brief and let them interpret it. Let them really do what they do and let them do what they're good at and what they know their audience loves. And, you know, when I when I explain it to other kind of brand leads or when we talk about this um, with other people in social, I would compare it to like if you had a corporate level partnership and you had a, you know, a, a somebody you were partnering with in your business and they decided to draft social posts for your channels. Would you want to change those posts? Would they get the copyright on the first try? Would they get the visual exactly right? No, absolutely no way, because you live and breathe your brand and you know exactly how to shape content for your channels to make it feel like you. And influencers and creators are the same way. They know what's what they are and what they aren't. And I think it's I, I always I evangelize throughout Peloton, <laughs> throughout, I think, the social and marketing world generally that the 10% of variation in perfection that you give up on social is where you get all of the results. That's where you get all of the magic is you have to allow for that flex and you have to allow for a little bit of strategic deviation from what to you might be the perfect post to get a post that actually performs and that actually flies. And to me, I will always take a post that is 80% perfect that gets 40 or 50% more reach than over a post that's 100% perfect that nobody sees. And that sounds stultifyingly obvious. But um, but I think there are a lot of brands, unfortunately, that make the opposite choice that are really, really passionate about, like, this is perfect creative. This is exactly right. And it doesn't matter if it doesn't work because, like, this is what's on brand. And I just, I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't accept that as an answer. I think you always have to push for that that kind of, that sweet spot between performance and creative. And you have to allow influencers and creators to be a part of that process and to share their own expertise with you. It's so true. I think that there's something, they know their own community very well. They're talking in it, they're living and breathing in it. So being able to really know their community intimately and again, sort of work in tandem with the wider team and bring that to life, I think is something very, very special you mentioned some, you know, good and really strong metrics and ways of measurement that sometimes as marketers we question ourselves around and we have internal discord and dialogue and um, I would love to hear from you how as a, as an organization and as a social media leader how are you all measuring your success and again it can be a little bit of a controversial thing too for marketers because we're chasing different types of metrics. We want to showcase how we're continuing to grow our communities, grow our channels. How have you all prioritized and made decisions around success measurement? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest industry-wide shift I've seen in the 10 years that I've been doing social has been this real move to, and, and I think social teams have been instrumental in leading this, in this shift from social analytics to social listening. And that was something that, you know, five years ago, you were still explaining to people, you were still explaining to marketing leads and CMOs that how our posts did is not the measure of how our social is performing. Um, and 
you know, that that used to be what social reporting looked like. It was this was the campaign. This was the reach. This was the this was the impression. This was the likes. Um, like, remember when likes were the priority <laughs> or even follows, God forbid. Um, and I think that was, you know, that was all social reporting was at the beginning. And we're now in a much more nuanced and a much more uh, much more specific place where I really try to encourage my team to have post-level metrics in mind when they create things and post-level KPIs that um, even if they're not things that we report on in depth, I want them to have that in mind for their own creative process. If the goal of a particular post, one individual Instagram post, is that it should be shared or saved significantly, like this is one that you should DM to your friend, then to me, that post lives and dies on whether or not it got shared a lot and whether or not we look at that and it's over-indexing on shares. And if it doesn't do that well on likes or on reach, then, you know, then that's, you know, that's, that's actually kind of okay. It means that we're able to make the things that we want to make and that we're able to press the buttons that we need to press for the overall health of our social accounts. Um, it's not always that cut and dried. And I think obviously we all know that these metrics run together. So posts that are getting a lot of DMs and shares are posts that are also likely to get a lot of reach and a lot of likes and a lot of engagement overall, like success breeds success on any one metric. Um, and we've all certainly prioritized different things um, as as the algorithms have shifted on us. But I think it's the incorporation of listening to me that is the is the biggest shift in the industry and in how we practice at Peloton, um, which is really making sure that we're not just talking to ourselves, we're not just talking to our existing audience, but we're paying attention to how we're perceived out in the market and out in the world from people who don't really understand the context of what they're seeing and making sure that we're not scared by that, but that we're aware of it, certainly, and that we're factoring it into our messaging. I absolutely love that approach. And um, first off, just have to say uh, kudos. Thank you so much for bringing up uh, saves on Instagram. Such an underappreciated <laughs> metric to look at. Just wanted to send that note off in passing. I have my, my private obsession is with like super high value metrics and these like very little yes. specific cadre of colleagues that we like obsess over this that we're like, oh, like what percent of like of these impressions were people who weren't previously following? Like that's yeah. like to me a key metric, even though you have to like calculate it manually, the platforms don't even do it for you yet. But there's there's a lot of truth, I think, in in human behavior of what we really value and what we do the least often to tell you which posts are really important to people. Well, and also, too, to your point about having to manually calculate some of these things, you know, it's so important because if you're only looking at the surface level metrics that platforms provide you, you're kind of beholden to their definition of success, but you are able to take a much bigger step back and look, okay, what does our listening look like? Okay, if we manually calculate these two metrics together, this is going to tell us a different story. And it's so important for the health of any social program to just take that huge step back, even though it is manual, it does take up a lot of team time. But I, I, I I can only imagine the wealth of information that you're getting from those efforts. And shout out to our social media data analyst. Um, that is that is a headcount that I have. That's headcount that I prioritized on every social team I've ever run. Because in addition to not being a runner, if you had told the English major me who became a journalist that I was going to have to like do math on a regular basis, I also would not have believed you about that. So uh, yeah. our our data analysis is really key in having team members who know how to lead that and how to interpret the data that's specific to social um, is really, really important. 
I couldn't agree more. Having a data analyst on your team is gold because they do so much more than just pull reports. Um, and, you know, especially somebody who can really dig into that data, which is funny because I actually wanted to dig in more that you had that perfect segue. I wanted to dig in more to the team structure. You kind of mentioned yeah. it at the beginning in your intro, but how are you looking at your team and building them up and growing them? Do you have channel specific owners? Do you have them do a little bit of everything? What does that look like today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I and I've, I've come to own over the years that some of this is really, you know, is certainly informed by my personal preference and how I like to work. And that's, I guess, the good and the bad thing about running teams is that, you know, you're always you're always yourself um, wherever you show up. Um, but to me, it's it to me, it really starts with people and with leaning into to human nature and human instinct. That's how I approach social. That's how I approach everything. And to me, first of all, it's a no-brainer that people work best when they're happy. And the kind of people who, in my experience, are attracted to social media as a career um, are people who, who enjoy a lot of variety in their work, who are okay with a lot of, sponta- a lot of spontaneity, a lot of change, um, a really, really high amount of ambiguity, um, who love to learn new things, who love to dive right into projects. You know, if you are a slow, methodical person who needs a lot of planning and organizing, this is probably not the career path for you. You know, you have to be able to think on your feet and to really work at a, at a pretty quick turn. Um, and those are not, to me, people who I think you should limit in, in really in any way if you can avoid it. So that's a long way of saying, no, I don't have channel owners on my team. Um, I try to move people into positions where they have the flexibility to focus on the things that I think they're really good at or that they really enjoy, but also so that they can learn more about anything if they want to. So we don't have channel leads particularly. I mean, where people have particular concentrations of technical skills, you know, if you want to do TikTok, you've got to be working really hard on learning to edit video and perfecting those transitions. Like, I, I'm happy to take your content suggestions, but if you want to, you know, do more on the platform, it helps me if actually you're learning to make things for it. Um, but that doesn't mean that if that's not your area of expertise, and I certainly am not a crack video editor by any means, that you're not able to contribute to concepting, to contribute to idea generation, to give creative feedback. Um, and so for me, it's really a question of kind of, and we do, we struggle for this like every other team of appropriately balancing team time and team workload um, with getting everybody's feedback and making sure that we're taking advantage of all of like the brains in the room and the creative genius on the team with making sure that we don't have every single social team member in every single meeting. Um, and instead, you know, have people whose job it is to lead on certain campaigns and certain work streams. Um, but the way I really approach it is actually more around timeline and life cycle than around channel or around, um, around content vertical or anything like that, that we sort of have always on an evergreen. And then we really have, um, campaign and, and sort of mid medium turn things. Um, I think our evergreen team can either be working on things that are very, very quick turn, very culturally informed, very like, this is trending right now. We got to jump on it. I think you need people on your team whose time is reserved in such a way that they they have the creative reserve and the time in their schedule to seize those opportunities when they come up, because they do come up, especially if you're looking for them. Um, 
And then there's also, you know, the need to be reliable partners to other people in the organization. And so we try to have team members whose job it is to really support that and service that and who have a little bit more interaction with our paid team, who, you know, who work a little more closely with the rest of our our, our marketing org. Um, but everyone has exposure to everything. I want them to be able to learn and to, you know, I tell them all the time that I, I hope they never leave me, but that my job is to prepare them for the day when they will. Um, and I want them to go out the door as prepared as possible. Except I, I think don't that. <laughs> I mean, I think that is the ideal scenario, though, right? Of being a manager, of being a leader, and in elevating people. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, because you are doing so much focus on elevating people and really helping them be their best every day. What are some of those big team? training challenges or or just management challenges that you're seeing today that aren't really being talked about within the greater social community. Yeah, I mean I I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's not being talked about. I think it's being talked about, but I think it's hard to I think it's hard to resolve that, you know, that social teams um social teams and social team leads sit in sort of an awkward position um where our work is really really core to every single thing that happens within marketing. There's almost nothing that happens in marketing that doesn't touch social in some way. And so you're a really key player and you're a really key stakeholder in a lot of things. At the same time, particularly for those of us who work on organic, you know, you're technically, it's free, right? It's free to post. It's free to put an Instagram post up. And so in a lot of ways, you know, and, and I've dealt with this in every job I've ever had. This isn't specific to Peloton. It's, you know, we're going to offer this really high value thing as a make good. And I'm like, well, if we give it away for free, that kind of means it's not high value anymore, is it? Like, you know, you're, you're in this weird position where this thing that you do is seen as both incredibly important, but also, you know, in, infinitely replicable and infinitely available. And you know, all you need is to talk to somebody about digital ad inventory to understand that things that are limitless are not valuable. And so the way that I really think about it is that like all posts have a cost. Organic has a cost and it's opportunity cost. It's the, you know, it's the make good for the partnership that didn't really need to go up, but it would be nice to be able to do. And can you please put this up? And like, will you just tweet this to make them happy? That's like, that's a tweet that went up in place of a tweet that would have gotten a lot more engagement and made a lot more people happy and overall bolstered our reach and improved our performance versus this thing that was like neutral to maybe slightly negative. And, and there is a cost to doing that over time to your channels. And you are really, as the social team lead, the only person who's aware of like, there's never any one post that you can't do, but over time, if you make a practice of misusing these channels, they will not be as valuable. And you're really the, the steward of that and have to be the guardian of that for your organization. And it's really like you kind of are saving your marketing org from itself by saying no and by setting those boundaries. I have a bit of a follow-up question around just boundary and the cost of doing social media. Right now, we're hearing from a lot of social pros, and especially in a, being in a leadership position, burnout. We're the nature of our business is 24-7, 365 days. It's ups, it's downs, it's trend, it's all of the things. And I'd love to hear you know, from you, again, leading a, a really large team, 
how are you addressing burnout? I mean, for me, addressing burnout is hopping on my Peloton bike. So I'd love to hear, you know, how you get creative behind the scenes um, for for your team. Well, we're actually not a particularly large team, um, but no, we, I mean, we, I, I struggle with it. Everyone struggles with it. I mean, this is, to me, this is a nationwide problem after the last two years. I think we're all looking at work and trying to figure out what it means to us and why we're doing it and what we want our lives to look like after two years of having very little choice in what our lives look like. Um, that's a, to me, that's a natural reaction and a thing that we're collectively processing as, as a human race. And I don't have any idea about where it's going to put us um, as a culture, as a country, as, as a human. You know, I'm going through it at the same time as everyone else. But at least with my team, you know, I, I try to apply that same philosophy about the opportunity cost and the value of social in the other direction, which is that, like, there's never any one post that is make it or break it that needs to go out. There is never a post so crucial, so important that you cannot take your vacation, that you cannot go have dinner with your family, you know, that you you can't take the time. Um, I try to be I'm not as good an example as I should be about taking PTO and using it. Um, but when I do take PTO, I try to really be out of the office and be offline. Um, and I encourage my team members to take their mental health days. And I say yes to every PTO request that I possibly can, even if I privately think it's too much time or someone's asking for a lot. I don't it's not important to me. And because because ultimately I trust my team to get their work done and to get it done in the manner that is best for them. And it does get done. Um, I think it's I, I think it's generational also to some degree that like I'm not a baby boomer, but I was certainly trained by Gen X and baby boomers with their particular set of expectations about what it means to be in an office. And I still have a lot of that in myself, like the like part of me that went to work when I was 21 you know, that has that like people pleasing, like, let's show up in the office at 9 a.m. on Monday, because like, that's what I learned people wanted from me, even though that's not necessarily how I actually need to do my job. Um, but I also recognize and value that the generations coming up behind us and the people who are starting work now don't feel that way. And just because it makes me a little uncomfortable, it doesn't mean that I'm empirically right about it. Um, and I think you just you have to be open to change and you have to dive right into it and see where it takes you. Yeah, it's so crazy how much things change and shift and just different approaches and none of them wrong, none of them bad, just such a different situational approach and what each generation went through and, and agree. And Kate, I, I I feel like I could talk to you all day long. I know Erica feels the same way too. I feel like we're diving into so many topics where I'm like ready to start fist pumping in the background. Um, and I'm sure our <laughs> listeners are too. Um, but, um, eventually at some point we do have to let you get back to all of the fun celebration. I'm sure your team is probably like, where is Kate? Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for being on today. This has been such a fantastic conversation and, and I feel like we could have kept going for like another hour. But I mean, yes, thank you. Thank you both so much. I can obviously talk about this all day and I've so enjoyed hearing everyone else on the pod talk about this over the years. So, uh, just, yeah, super excited to get to be a part of it. Ah, before we go into our final two questions, uh, where should everybody be following you and following, of course, Peloton? Oh, uh, well, I'm just at Kate Winnick everywhere, uh, one N, and we are one Peloton on all channels. There you go. Everybody follow Kate, follow Peloton to see the amazing things. 
uh, she and her team are doing. It's, it's seriously just amazing, amazing engagement. And now you have all of this beautiful context about how all of it comes to life. <sighs> all right, Kate. Well, that being said, are you ready for the final two questions that we ask all 500 plus guests on the Social Press Podcast? Sure. I think all right. I'll <laughs> no pressure. You got this. All right. Question number one. If you could give one piece of advice to anybody who wants to become a social pro, what would it be? Sure. Um, I think social as a field offers incredible on-the-job training. And so the important thing when you're starting out is not learning how to say something. We'll teach you how to do that. It's having something to say. It's having a point of view. It's learning how to generate ideas. Um, and if you can do that, then we'll help you figure out the channel and the format. There are teams for that. But have something to say, not just a channel in which to say it. I absolutely could not agree more. Question number two, if you could take a video call with any living person, who would it be? Ooh, it would be Mel Brooks. Hands down, 100%. Need a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Love Mel Brooks. To me, one of the funniest people still left alive and a national treasure. So definitely Mel Brooks. Agreed. Did you see his documentary on HBO with Carl Reiner yeah. a couple years ago? Oh, so gross. So good. I, I agree. I feel like he just approaches life. Mel Brooks approaches life with just like humor and grace. And I, I agree. I think that's that's a great one. I don't think anybody has ever said Mel Brooks before. Really? Oh, I mean, to me, that I think I think if you want also, that's my other piece of advice. If you want to know how to be a social pro, approach life with humor and verb and look for the funny. That is that is actually, I think, the answer. Agree. Could not agree more because it's crazy times. we got to find the humor somewhere. So absolutely agree. Kate, thank you so much for being on the show once again. It was Thanks a genuine sure. delight to talk to you today. It was great to see you. Thank you so much. Social Pros listeners, I want to thank you as well for joining us once again. We hope to see you again next week on what we hope is your favorite podcast in the whole wide world, Social Pros. Social Pros.